The Apprenticeship of Giuseppe Lupo Written by Yusef L. Deeb Narrated by Jason Melnichuk Chapter 7 Ave Maria The timelines of Giuseppe Lupo's life story are becoming clearer now. I now know that he actually arrived in Canada in the late 60s. But of his early days at the orphanage in Alexandria, there are still many mysteries to unravel. How does one start life at an orphanage and end up a successful person in their field, let alone, in this case, Geo's world-hopping adventures, leading and building a successful media brand with a slogan that preaches, Life is Wonderful? How does that happen? Now don't you go and write a sad story, Julia playfully commands me. Well, I can't imagine how not to. It sounds pretty awful so far, no? I question her. Sad? What's sad? It might sound sad to you, but look at him. Does he look sad or broken? You will never see these traits in him. He does not feel these emotions. Ever. No, no, he is never regretful. Do you ever feel this from him? We are sitting by the harbor. Julia had brought a bag of toast bread to feed the seagulls, which were hovering above us, waiting to catch the morsels that she gives them. Again, I smell her perfume, and again it moves a deep, mysterious emotion inside me. It seems to be a scent of another age. Flowery, yet with a subtlety that reminds me of something, but that something I cannot remember. Someone I know wore this. I know this scent. Yet who and where are not available to me in this moment. I consider her words before answering her. On the contrary, your father is... Well... Let me put it this way. I feel most excited when I'm with him listening to his journey. At least, his version of it. I feel like he had a great life the way he tells it. She nods enthusiastically. Yes. Doesn't it make you feel like you just want to go out and truly live? I do. When I hear Gio's story, I feel like I am 24 years old and haven't yet lived a moment in my life. That's it. It's a joyful story. A colorful story of a life. You know, when he was fully cognizant, before his Alzheimer's set in, he often said how blessed he was. Whenever I learn of an event, or something that I found to be awful or sad, he would tell me that it was the luckiest and best thing that ever happened to him. Luckiest. Best. He said that to himself every morning in the mirror. Luckiest. Best. Even about the orphanage in Alexandria? I ask looking deep into her eyes for any hint or meaning. I notice her catch my gaze and hold it. Especially those days. He sees it this way. He was the lucky one to be blessed to be mostly without parents. He had to become his own parents and give himself his own mother's love and father's guidance and support. He had to create his own backbone. He was born to be solo. She squeezes my hand, and I find myself reacting with a tight hold. Something new is born between us. 
It starts with the simple act of two young humans touching, then of holding on to each other's hands. In 1844, seven daughters of charity of St. Vincent de Paul sailed from France to Alexandria at the request of Egypt's ruler, Muhammad Ali. They were well received and given a house in Alexandria. From there they opened a dispensary where they started their service. Later, they opened a school and orphanage for the needy. It was not common at this time in Egypt to see sisters outside of convents serving the community. The locals called the dispensary Saba Banat, Seven Daughters. As the charity work grew, the street itself came to be known by that same name. A single light bulb hangs from the ceiling in the dormitory. It stays on all night, casting a soft, amber glow across the room. One day in the records of the long history of the orphanage, a French sister had recommended that it always stay on to keep the children feeling safe in case they wake up during the night, and the suggestion stayed. This single bulb that hangs by a string also happens to be the boy's only entertainment, with the constant flicker and buzz of the mosquitoes and moths that it attracts. The dormitory beds are less than two feet apart. They are so tightly packed together that they make the room feel more like a storage room than a dormitory. Their closeness is also why Geo's teeth-grinding sound disturbs the boys sleeping on either side. At one end, there's a long door, consistent with the French colonial age of the building. Above it hangs a large cross. The cross has a rosary draped on it. Next to the cross is a framed portrait of Jesus. Geo often looks at this framed picture. He wonders and wishes to decipher why Jesus has one finger of one hand pointing to a heart, which is separate from his body and is floating in front of his chest, crowned with thorns. Next to the door is a small table with a candle lit at bedtime and burns late into the night. Every morning at 6 a.m., the door opens with the sound of prayers. Although the orphanage has boys from Christian and Muslim families, the religious practice of the orphanage is Catholic. In its heyday in the 50s, the orphanage had many Christian orphan boys, Maronite, Protestant, Catholic, and Coptic, aside from the odd Muslim or Jew. Today, these have been mostly reduced to Coptic, Catholics, and Muslims. The school was also known to accept both the lowly plumber as well as the local doctor's children. Today, with the same routine as every morning, Gia wakes to the familiar daily ritual of a specific sound and scent. The dormitory door opens gently, and a young nun, dressed in black, walks in. Sister Mary Margaret is chanting Ave Maria in Latin. Behind her, Sister Bernadette follows. She is carrying an incense holder that is billowing a strong mix of frankincense and myrrh. This ritual is the daily morning wake-up process for the boys. This prayer is meant to invoke the blessing of the lady, and the incense is for cleansing the room and the souls of the boys of any evil and evil thoughts. One by one, the boys slowly drag themselves and rise from their beds. 
They reach for their black school bibs and sand-covered sandals from under their beds. The Christian boys slowly join in the prayer chant. Non-Christian boys are exempt from this, but for Giuseppe Lupo, the son of a Muslim father, who Italianized his last name to blend in with the Italian community of his Catholic Italian ex-wife, Gio's mother, Ave Maria is a chant that becomes a permanent watermark to his soul. He hears it so many times as a toddler that it eventually becomes his go-to prayer throughout his life whenever he feels he needs the lady's blessing and intervention. One day, curious to learn about Ave Maria, he will discover that it's the Catholic prayer that imagines Angel Gabriel's call to Mary, when the angel visits her to announce the holy visitor in her womb. The chant goes like this. Ave Maria, gratia plena. Maria, gratia plena. Maria, gratia plena. Ave, ave Dominus. Dominus tectum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus, et benedictus fructus ventris, ventris tuae, Jesus Ave Maria. Hail Mary, full of grace, Mary, full of grace, Mary, full of grace, hail, hail the Lord. The Lord is with thee, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary. The sisters' soft Latin chant continues while they keep an eye on the boys. Each of the Christian boys, which is the majority of the boys, now kneel next to their bed with their hands held up in prayer. Gio sits on the bed and daydreams, waiting for the prayers to end. The incense slowly fills the room. A few boys cough. A sister approaches Gio's bed and opens a window to let the fresh air in. This window opening is a daily ritual that allows Gio to look out at the palm trees bordering the orphanage. He now hears the white noise buzz of the palm fronds rustling against each other whenever the wind is strong, like on winter days like this. He breathes in the fresh smell of the Mediterranean. Looking at the tall, swaying palm trees, a song comes to Gio's mind. It's an Arabic song, very popular at that time. He hears this song over and over, in the playground and in the classrooms. It wafts over the walls, from the radios of the metallurgy workshops next door. The song speaks of love and of lovers, but in true Arabic lyrical fashion, any translation would read of the two date-laden palm trees swaying in the wind. Boy Gio has no idea of the meaning, but still repeats the song out of habit. Here is a try at translation. Two palm trees high and mighty, whose dates are a cure. Two palm trees, and two palm trees enjoying, living, a night of passion. O mother of the bride, rejoice! O mother of the groom, rejoice! Sister Mary Margaret 
ends the Ave Maria and calls the boy's attention. Good morning, boys. The boys answer in unison. Good morning, sister. Looking at Geo, Sister Mary Margaret continues. You know what is special about today? She reaches into her pocket and retrieves a half-ripe tangerine, still spotted with green. Today, November 14th, is the day that tangerines arrive on the market. And today is, as always, young Gio's birthday. She turns to Gio and hands him the tangerine. All together now, let's sing. To the surrounding sound of Joya Anniversary's melody, Gio's mind only thinks of one single thing. His mama will come to visit today, and she will bring boiled eggs. <laughs> <laughs>